Last week, we spoke with Heather Dane, co-author of The Bone Broth Secret, about how bone broth solves many health issues as well as addressing problems of food waste and poverty in our country. This week, we continue discussing the controversies over adding apple cider vinegar to your broth, as well as discussing how her co-author Louise Hay intuits affirmations for healing disease and picking the best item on a menu. Coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Meet Gina. Gina wanted to lose weight, so she spent two years fasting, detoxing, and dabbling with vegan diets while practicing a shit ton of yoga to lose 25 pounds, but it took so long that nobody noticed. Then, Gina started Frenching her food by eating fatty cheeses, butter, sausages, and red meat, and lost 15 more pounds in only two months. Everybody noticed this time. Frenching your food unlocks the riddle of weight loss that skinny French chicks use to slim down, look young, and live longer despite doing everything wrong. Be like Gina. Start Frenching your food today by visiting nutritionheretic.com forward slash Frenching. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. So um, tell me the one thing that I, I thought was pretty cool was you talked about apple cider vinegar and whether or not that should be, as a requirement, added to your bone broth. Yeah, you know, I found that really interesting because I found a study from 1934. It was a British study, and they had done several things with bone broth. They were trying to decide if bone broth was healthy. Of course, this has been going on since, like I said, the 1600s when they started studying gelatin. Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? And so as they were in the lab with a number of different techniques trying to figure out how to extract the minerals, and they were really only looking at minerals and not collagen, they, um, they found that within one hour, you could extract all of the vegetable vitamins and minerals that you needed. So Mm -hmm. for anybody who's making bone broth with vegetables and they think it tastes too swampy, I say wait till the last 45 minutes (laughs) to an hour and throw it in. Right. Um, And then the the bones themselves, even without turning on the heat, within seven hours, the minerals would all come out into the water. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make a difference whether you used apple cider vinegar or not. Right. I think that that um, there is a wisdom, though, because a lot of uh, science is not always looking for the same things we're looking for. Yes. We don't know if they were looking, they weren't looking at collagen in that particular study. So we don't know if the apple cider vinegar is helping to release the collagen into the, um, as part of the process of hydrolysis, which is we heat it up and we then extract the collagen into gelatin in the bone broth. 
Um, we don't know if that's part of it, but I, I suspect, and I actually called Dr. Kayla Daniel, who wrote um, Nourishing Broth with, yes. with Sally Fallon Morell. And uh, I, we talked about it because she contributed a recipe to the book and we were kind of ta- talking about what do you think about this study? And she was very aware of it. And she thinks the study is sound. And I did too, as we looked at all of what they did. And we were sort of like, why do you think we're still using apple cider vinegar? And mm-hmm. we all thought, Louise, Kayla, and I all thought that it had something to do with cl- the cleansing properties of apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. So the Weston A. Price um, Foundation did a, published a study where they found that with pork, um, if, you, if you soaked it in, a, in apple cider vinegar and water... Mm-hmm. Um, the pork would actually become healthy for the human body. Mm. So, so without preparing it in that way, it was um, it, it could create like a, a sort of a dirty blood type situation if you right. looked at it under a dark field microscope. But if you if you use the apple cider vinegar, that that process didn't happen. I think the Chinese knew that because what they would what they would do with bone broth is when they were using pig's feet or something or even in general, they would parboil. Yes. We don't do this here, but they do. I mean some people might do it. We we roast yeah. sometimes, but we don't parboil. And so they would parboil, so quickly boil it for about five minutes, ditch the water, right, and now start fresh with this cleansed meat, cleansed bones. And I think that that our version was throw in the apple cider vinegar, let it sit for a little while and then turn on the heat. Right. And that was the way of cleansing out any impurities from the whatever we're using, particularly from a pig's feet or pork bone perspective. Right, right. And I know another thing the Chinese do as well with uh, pork stocks in particular is they add chunks of ginger in there. Yes. To to kind of purify <laughs> the experience, yes. uh, even yes. just the olfactory experience. Exactly. Exactly. So I think I think though I think there's wisdom in there. Yeah. And and we I use it just because I believe that. And, right. and until somebody does a real double blind, blah, blah, lab study, I'm just going to trust the fact that we know apple cider vinegar is a very good cleansing food. And um, there, there's got to be a reason in there that we just haven't looked at yet. Right. It's one of those things that, you know, when I started, I told you I started making uh, broth for myself in, in, right around 92. And um I was always getting gelatin, you know, out of it. So I when I read that, I was like, well, maybe I can get more. I just started doing it. I was like, well, you know, cider vinegar is not bad for me. So even if it's not getting, but, you know, I still, you know, it's it doesn't always make it to the pot. Uh, yeah. And I don't want people to feel that, oh, well, now I ruined my bone broth. I didn't put the cider vinegar. <laughs> right. Um, right. So that's important, I think, because somebody had a really good quote. I forget who it was now. I was speaking to a few weeks ago and they said, you know, in America, we've become a nation of technicians. Where we're told, you know, you have to say, add the cider vinegar to the bone broth or you have to drink X number of cups per day for this condition. Because I'm sure as a nutritionist, you get this, these kinds of questions all the time. Well, how much should I have? What right. should I do? You know, I have this with my knee. What should I do about it? And <laughs> not understanding that the prescription is different for everyone yes. and that, you know, as long as you're working towards the goal, it's there's no perfect scenario yes. that can that can just magically you know appear from thin air. So um, 
you know, it's, it's, uh, I just wanted you to, to expand on that bit about the cider vinegar because like, like you said, you know, we, do we need the science to come in before right, we know yeah. that, you know, we, the tradition has been there. Our, our ancestors were a lot smarter than us guys, you know, <laughs> they were, they were. And, you know, I think, I think that they, they had a, they used their intuition more than we did because they didn't have science. We right. often use science as a crutch, like mm-hmm. you like you're um, the person you interviewed was saying about technicians. And I think that we've got to learn to trust ourselves a little bit more. I mean, I, I actually talked to Kayla about this too, because she said she always like me and probably like you gets the question, um, how do I know if it's gone bad? Mm-hmm. And smell our ancestors <laughs> used to smell it, right? Exactly. Or you taste it. I mean, if if you if you if you can't if you're not sure from the smell, you taste it, and then you know, and you spit it out, and you're done. And it's kind of like we're so afraid to do that now because we're used to expiration dates and somebody else telling us. Right. Yet we didn't realize that expiration dates don't mean anything. Except and that a lot of it's rotating the food on the shelf is what it it's is. doing. More than anything. Exactly. And, and it's, um, in most cases, things don't expire that are processed anyway, because they've got like chemicals that make it last forever in there. If you can call it that. (laughs) Right. And, and we, we, if we can learn, if we're eating real food and we can learn to smell it, we can, we know what mold smells like in a, in a berry so that we can skip eating that berry. And we know what a bad batch of bone broth is. I always say, leave the fat cap on the top. Yeah. You know, and, and then what, until you're ready to eat it because the fat cap preserves. Right. If you, um, I, I started making confit, which is sort mm. of like the version of bone broth only using fat. So you right. cook your duck or you cook your, your turkey underneath this layer of duck fat or, or chicken schmaltz or something like right. that. And, um, what our ancestors did is that they would actually leave that out. They leave the leftover duck or, or chicken or turkey out underneath the layer of fat. And when they did that, they could leave it out for like a month or yeah. more under the fat because fat acts as a preservative. Right. It locks out all the oxygen. Exactly. And so um, it's I could I could do a confit. And then whatever leftovers I had, I could leave sitting in my refrigerator under three inches of the fat that was used for the confit, take the, scrape that off and it's full of gelatin and meat and make that as a meal at some point and then render the fat and use it again. And again, this is where we get like duck fat is a pretty expensive and prized fat, but you can use it over and over again uh-huh. if you're making confits with it. And when you're making a confit, you're infusing the fat with collagen mm-hmm. and when you render it you can cut that piece off that still has the little bit of collagen and broth in it and that becomes this healing food that you can use for other things mm. so we we start to realize that um no you know we didn't get taught to do this by anybody in science you know maybe in nutrition science but right. not even in when i was in school in the 80s you know <laughs> they didn't show me how to do any of this yeah but we're it's like you just kind of have to try it like people trying to make fermented foods for the first time everybody thinks it's spoiled and they're afraid but this is we have to trust our our senses and this is when we learn to trust our senses we learn to trust our intuition and that's where we don't have to ask somebody how many cups do i need because it's okay to ask an expert you know, that's okay. But there's a part of us that goes into the body and says, that expert told me this, but I'm finding for me, I need a little less, a little more, you know, something like that. And and we learn to trust what, what our body is calling us to do. Right. And I think that's the magic of, of blending all of this exciting new technology with 
with all of those time-tested, healthy things that our ancestors just did because that's what they did. They lived on the earth and they knew it better than we know it. And we can't lose those secrets because our bodies haven't changed. Yes. You know, so we have to we have to hold on, I think, to those secrets. And I, I think that autoimmune conditions and incurable illnesses that are on the rise are, are really just a call. It's not something to be afraid of. Yes. It's actually a call to go back to some of our old ways and not to lose them. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> because, you know, there is, there is a blessing in disease. Yes. Uh, you know, everybody sees it for the scary thing that lays ahead, whether it's cancer or uh, especially cancer, um, you know, AIDS or just autism, just all of these different disorders that people are plagued with today, the autoimmune disease, the lupus, etc. And um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we've, we just keep getting further and further away. Like we're looking out there yes. for the answer, but the answer is like in us. It's like, yes. it's so intimate and we're trusting these entities that are outside of us to tell us what to do. And it's, it's just, not like that. Right. Uh, right now, I'm actually taking, as soon as we're done here, I'm, I'm running off to my master food preservers course. And the first <laughs> thing they do in that course is scare the bejesus <laughs> you know, about disease. I, I learned more about disease than I have in any medical book <laughs> or yeah. anything because wow. everything is about the foodborne illness. And you know, a couple of us just kind of sit there and roll our eyes. We're like, yeah, well, <laughs> we just smell it. <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. But, um, and, uh, and, you know, then there's just c the contradictory messages from the, I'm just going to call it the establishment, right? Yeah. Because they, on the one hand, they're telling us, don't eat this because it doesn't have anything. But then, you know, then they're like, well, you got to have, you know, X amount of vitamins and it's killed by that, but you can't eat that because it's got microbes. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> you're just, you find yourself in this, in this, um, between a rock and a hard place, basically. Yes. Where you're not allowed to eat things. So yeah, we need to definitely trust ourselves a lot more. And, and by the way, I'm going to give you one recipe. If you eat masa, you know, like masa harina, the, the fermented corn, uh huh. tamales made with that duck fat from your confit. Uh huh. Delicious. <gasps> that sounds fabulous. I made, a, I made a tamale pie. And I put bone broth in it. And then I had this leftover confit and it was taking up space in my, in my, um, fridge. So I just, I, we had used the, the duck meat the night before and I had the fat sitting there and it had all the roasted garlic and the herbs. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I, fabulous. I hope you're going to give everybody a leg to that because we all want it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't take a picture. I was just, I, I like, oh, we went no. through it so fast. <laughs> it was just like me and my girls and we couldn't stop ourselves. It was, it was, yeah, I don't, I'm not good at taking pictures of things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll find the rest. I'll try to remember how I recreate, how I created it the first time. Fabulous. So, um, you know, the, I, actually, I just want to ask you before I let you go, I want to ask you a couple of questions about, uh, Louise, because, um, you talk a lot about her in the book. Obviously, she's your co-author. Um, but, you know, when, when she wrote, you can heal your life, I recall her talking about her diet, which at the time seemed pretty vegetarian. Um, and I don't remember her mentioning bone broth. I certainly don't remember her mentioning bone marrow. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, was she, was she leaning towards a vegetarian diet? And, and what, I'm just wondering if, if you ever, you guys ever talked about what the shift was where she moves from, you know, kind of 
eating a lot, lots and lots of vegetables, you know, throughout the day and, you know, maybe just some berries in the morning, uh, to moving towards more towards organ meats and, and bone broth and realizing that because I think a lot of people, when they go on the spiritual path, which, you know, I think we all consider her to be on a very spiritual path. They think that the first thing you got to do is give up meat. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's it's just this knee jerk reaction that you can't be spiritual and eat meat. Right. So, um, you know, what what do you know what happened there where she was just like, this isn't meeting my my needs anymore and I need to go back. You know, she's always been intuitive about a lot of things. She always talks about how when she wrote, you can heal your life. She's she's dropped out of high school, really, really eighth grade. And so it's not like she considers herself this brilliant um, person, even though she is. Right. But she's highly intuitive. And so when she talks about writing, you can heal your life, she feels like she channeled a lot of it intuitively. Okay. And yes, it was based on her you know, learnings and things like that. But still, a lot of it came to her intuitively. And she did the same thing with nutrition. I know for a fact, she's taken many, many, many classes. Mm -hmm. She's actually was raw, did raw food for a while. She did vegan and vegetarian. She did macrobiotics. She tried a number of things as she sort of went through the years. And she had cancer in the late 70s. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, she didn't want to go through the whole traditional medical path. And so she started really looking hard at nutrition. And Mm. some of the things that that one of the big things that she was taught to do was take two ounces a couple of times a day of asparagus uh, ground up, you know, heated, cooked, and then pureed asparagus in in two two ounce servings a day. She didn't know back then. And I don't even know if she knew when we were talking about it, that asparagus is a good source of glutathione, Mm. you know, the detox antioxidant, but she just did it because, you know, she was told to do that and she changed her diet and she really got, got serious. She said, this is, this is an opportunity for me to walk my talk with my teachings. And she got really serious about her own, teachings about affirmations and um, it changed everything including it not only did she heal and then she had a diagnosis of no cancer but she also um, her work got better and her clients started healing faster because Uh she was sort of living into um, her her uh, belief system in a way that she hadn't before right and now over the years because she's always tried things she's still a lover of vegetables and she's still you know and all of that, but she listens to her body and she right. listens, she calls her intuition, her inner ding. And she's always listening to her inner ding. And she goes and set to the refrigerator and stands there and says, you know, hi, baby, you're going to give me some good food. You know, she says some right. nice little affirmations and then she decides what she wants and that's what she has. And I wouldn't be surprised um, if over the years, you know, again, we, we, as collagen drops, we have to find a way to replace it. And the only food on the planet that has collagen is animal protein. Yes. I haven't checked Louise's genes for any kind of defective collagen genes because we all have some. It just depends on how many you have, what what things are going to start failing as we get older, depending mm. upon some trigger in life. And again, it could be anything. It could be menopause could be a trigger, you know, to turn a gene switch on. So instead of being afraid of that, we say, okay, I'm going to use my food as medicine. And in Chinese medicine, they always say meat, um, meat for strength, vegetables for cleansing, Mm -hmm. grains for energy. And there are going to be times that we need to turn off the energy system of grains because our insulin system 
is not going well and we're not working hard enough to to need all of that energy and so we and the the small intestine doesn't even have enough energy to to digest it well mm-hmm. and so we need to turn move the grains out for a little while right. there are times that our body needs strength instead of cleansing we can't cleanse 24/7 and be healthy <laughs> But if we have cancer, we might want to go through a raw vegan or a juicing or some kind of thing and cleanse, 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 cleanse. But at some point, we need to strengthen. And so what do we do? How do we do that? And so... Um, so she, I think intuitively she's, she's always loved bone broth. She learned about it from Julia Child. Yes. She would watch the Julia Child show all the time and she loved it and she loved making bone broth and she loved the taste of it. She had no sense that this is, she didn't know about collagen. Nobody knew about collagen. Right. I mean, they weren't talking about it back then. So she just knew that she felt better. Yeah. And I know people in their 70s today, She, you know, Louise is 90, but I know people in their 70s who started having bone broth and they, they're really healthy today in their 70s. They're still working. They're still strong. They're right. still vital. And they said, well, I just feel better when I have it. So th- that's why I have it, right. you know. And then there are those of us who it brought our life back, you yeah. know. And so I think I think at some point we have to admit that there is a, um, a reason why these foods are there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like, I, I'm as a native American, I believe that everything in life has a, a voice and meaning and a purpose. And for me, that includes plants. Yes. And, and my, I'm Haudenosaunee, which is, which many people know is Iroquois. And we had the three sisters, which are corn right. and squash. And, and so they meant something to us. We have stories about the three sisters and how they, why they, they make such a great organic, um, safety net in terms of a food system. Yes. And and we don't want to waste anything. When I think of people juicing and throwing away the pulp, to me that's just as bad as factory farming. Yes. Because it, because it's waste it's like I'm taking this teeny little bit but I need like 80 carrots just to get it and I'm now wasting all of the rest of that food and and to me it feels like waste. I'm not looking at the food system as um I don't want to tax our food system. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that if we were to stop looking at meat as um, Louise, Louise and I, and I think those of us who are more spiritual about about how we want the earth, how we want to coexist on earth with all beings, we think about humane ways of doing things. And right. when we were hunter gatherers, we we prized it in Native American medicine. There is or, there's no death. There's the soul lives. Mm-hmm. The body dies, and so it's a whole different thing. But but there's a there's a prayer and a ceremony over an animal, yeah. and every single part of that animal is used with reverence, right. and respect, and honor, and um and it's it's known as as having healing properties. We don't just say, oh, we only want fifteen percent; the rest of it goes. Right. So I feel like the way we look at food, we don't feel sorry for plants because plants don't have a face. Right. But it's very arrogant because these today we know from science, they're actually they're debating calling it plant neurobiology. We know plants have brain have a a, a system of right. thinking and feeling. We know they feel emotions when there's danger. The plants warn their kin yes. before the other plants, but then they warn everybody else. But they go to their kin first, yes. which is so human, right? You know, they 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 feel pain. Um, the reason that they don't have a face and they don't have organs like us is because they're stuck in the ground. And when you come at them with a lawnmower or when you come at them with some sort of device to pull them out of the ground, they can't run. Right. So it's a different, I don't know which you'd rather be, 
you right, really want to be something that runs or do you want to be something that's stuck <laughs> to the ground? I don't know, but they, but we all feel there. We wow. we're all sentient beings. And I think it's very arrogant to think that, that one is more important than the other. I don't feel more important than the tree outside of my house. Right. And I think it's just a different way because it, in the native American culture, we grow up believing nature is a relative. Yes, you know, the trees are the, we, their we ancestors, have, right? Yeah. They're, they're relatives and the trees are relatives and the mother earth is a relative. And, and grand grandmother moon is a relative and you know everything in nature is is related in some way and important and esteemed in some way and so it's just such a different way of thinking and it would in the in that way of thinking when we think of everything as a relative we don't want to treat animals or plants meanly we don't want to spray glyphosate and herbicides and pesticides on plants right and we don't want to throw away their tissue without uh, without a prayer, without yes. some reverence for that loss of life. Yes. And because even, I always even tell people heart- chlorophyll is blood. It's plant yes. blood. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And because of our harmful plant practices, the earth's soil is devoid of the minerals we need to be healthy. Right. That that very sort of core element that we need to be healthy is missing in, in soil, which is my theory of why grains are so bad today, because the anchor to hold hold the blood sugar down as minerals and mm-hmm, we don't yes. have it. So we're, we're growing grains without an anchor. Mm, and yeah, I, I, I think that, that, um, our, our, our food system, our farming system is the problem. It's not what people are eating. If we exactly. learn to, yeah, if we learn to go no waste, we could be very spiritual about the food that we eat and the food is medicine. I think that it's not until someone gets really sick um, that that you can understand without anger that they may actually need meat as part of their healing. Right. And, you know, to be really honest, I mean, I don't say this a lot, but we're all part of the food chain. If, <laughs> if anybody thinks that there's not bacteria and virus that are trying to hunt us right now in our bodies, if anybody thinks that we are not part of the food chain as we sit here right now, right. we're not understanding the cycle of life. We're all part of the cycle of life. We're all hunting and being hunted. It is the for me, the most humble aspect of being a living being is to know that that we are all part of the food chain in mm. some way. And that we have to, um, because of that, we have to learn to respect every being, including ourselves and the bacteria and virus that are hunting us right now. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, you we- think about cancer. I mean, what do you yeah. say? Cancer is eating away at this organ, right? It's, yes. you know, we, we don't, we don't see it because again, no eyes and face, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> ignore that. Exactly. So we're all part of the food chain and it's, 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 this is where, you know, this idea of I am safe, the affirmation, I am safe, right. I am safe, I am safe. We all have to come to terms with the fact that we are living in an unpredictable world. And the more we can learn to trust ourselves and to be safe and, and to, to, stay in a place of trying to understand that all of us living here have different ways of approaching our lives. And instead of fighting each other, mm-hmm. we learn to have a better system. Yes, We learn to have a better way. We, we live in cities. We don't grow food so much anymore. We need to find a better way to feed the human race than we've already found right now without, and, and we can't, if we get lost in fighting each other about what we're eating to stay healthy, we're not going to have energy to, to change the system. Exactly. Exactly. And I just want to add, you know, to what you were saying before is like, you know, we've gotten rid of the practice of saying grace. Yes. Uh, just that moment of reverence and appreciation for whatever the earth turned up for you that day. Yes. And 
it's just, it's such a, again, just, just feeding into that, that disconnect between how it got there. Even, even, even if you're just buying it at the store and you don't see the, the soil that the animal was raised on or the plant was picked from, the reverence for the fact that somebody had a job and had to pay for that, you know? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> like the, we, we're, we're so disconnected and it's, um, yeah, we, we, you're right. We, we've gotten incredibly arrogant. Um, in, in our, uh, expectations and our per- perceptions of which kingdom is of more value. Yes. We can, we can, we, to be spiritual, we can't, spirituality is not an idea of being superior by, by, um, deciding that I'm going to do this and therefore I'm more spiritual than someone else. Yes. You know, I, I think that part of spirituality is, is having a sense of humility for being a living being in, in, in this cycle of life. There is a, um, I, I feel like I'm constantly um, in a process of learning from other people to, to be humble, to, to stand up for what we believe in, but also to, to, be, to be humble about what I still need to learn and mm-hmm. what I still need to understand. And, you know, I, I don't know that, I mean, no one really has any full 100% agreement on how we should be living our lives. But I think that if we're in constant question of, you know, staying in our own space and saying, what is it that I believe I need to be doing and how can I be supporting, um, supporting people in, um, in, and supporting all of our beings, all of the earth, we would be approaching things a little bit differently. We wouldn't fight so much. We would maybe try to band together and make change. Right. And, and you know, I, particularly, I keep bringing up the election, but, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> since, since the election, um, it's, it's become more and more apparent to me how, and I think to a lot of people, and even Obama said this, you know, that we need to focus on our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like right where you are, so much of the, the anger and, uh, the discord that we're seeing in the world right now stems, in my opinion, stems from us again, looking out there on a global scale instead of looking at what's happening right here within my community. Because yeah. once you bring it into your sphere of neighbors and friends, it becomes much easier to, to show compassion, uh, to understand that, yes, I have my belief, but how, but I cannot impose that on someone else. Yes. And, um, Really, I guess we're getting a little off topic, but, but, you know, that, that, um, like, you know, let's just say food as an example. A lot of people, you know, they follow the vegan, the paleo, whatever, and they want to shove it down everyone's throat Mm -hmm. and they want to do it on this massive scale. But what about the person, you know, like when you sit down, you actually talk to the people in front of you, your clients or whatever, you realize, wow, this person can't digest vegetables. Right. Maybe it's not right for her. Maybe my ideal isn't right for that person, but it's very right. easy to dispense that information and, you know, hold up signs that you're anti-abortion and don't kill babies and Hillary this and Trump that. But, you know, you got to start at home, right? Yeah. You always have to start within your own backyard. Yes. <laughs> so. You know, I was I was really fortunate to interview four women peacemakers who um, won a, a sort of spot in at the um, University of San Diego. And 
one was from Pakistan. They were from Pakistan, Nigeria, Algeria, and Kenya. I think I heard about and, this. Yeah, and they one of the things they said because I I interviewed them right before the results of the election, <laughs> and um and I was asking them how do you have courage and strength to keep to keep going and mm-hmm. standing up for what you believe in? And one of the things they said is it has to really matter to you. It has to be something that matters to you. And it has to be like you start locally. Yes. You start in your own community. And they, and many of them went from one, from mother to mother in their communities. Ma- you know, many of them, that was their big thing. They went from mother to mother and woman to woman and talked to each person and um, and then created a community of support from there. But it was something that, that mattered to them. And it was something that they did within their, they started within their communities and then it grew. And so I love what you say when you're like, let's start in our own backyards. Let's start with um, something that really matters to us. And let's listen. Cause that was one of their other, other tips is the reason the wars were happening. They were in war torn countries creating peace. And the reason the war was happening was because people hadn't sat down to listen to each other. And it wasn't until they did that, that, that they were able to actually start creating peace. Yes, exactly. Exactly. When you, yeah, you just, you have those, those real human connections. Yes. It, it changes because you realize it's not all black and white. There's so much gray exactly. <laughs> between there, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, um, uh, you talked, we, we kind of, I guess we segued here from talking about intuition, right? Yes. And uh, uh, you were describing, you know, Louise's intuition. Now, have you been able to learn that art of intuiting what's right for you in the moment? What, you know, you look in your fridge or you look at a menu. Do yes. you Because I always choose the wrong thing. My husband chooses the most delicious thing, which is usually pasta, unfortunately. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he always chooses the best thing on the menu. Me, not so much. So... <laughs> Yeah. What, what is that? And, and, you know, and the other reason why I want to bring this up is because when we talked about it before, I'm sure there were people out there saying, well, my intuition says I want a jelly roll. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, craving so. versus craving versus intuition is, is a, is a sort of a little bit of an art and a, um, I think how I would describe it is in two ways. One is that we get signals besides, a craving besides like a feeling of what we want to eat. Sometimes we get a signal besides that. So I would explain that by saying that when my digestive system was still really taxed, um, I, I didn't know when I was hungry um, because I didn't, things weren't moving through my system properly. And so what would happen is I would think about food at times when I thought I shouldn't be eating. Because I wasn't hungry. But what I learned that was I I really listened to my body. So I always say keep a food mood journal, keep a diary of Mm -hmm. how you're doing throughout the day and what signals you're getting, what emotions are coming up, what symptoms, physical symptoms are coming up, what ideas are popping up into your head. So I kept having this thinking about food when I didn't think I was hungry and I was judging myself and I would ignore it because I'm not hungry. But then I noticed this little pattern that 20 minutes after I was thinking of food, I would be in a, a blood sugar emergency, right. like an emergency. Now, once I was in that emergency, I, I would consider it like what pe- how people describe a migraine. People who've had migraines will tell me that that they can tell that they're ignoring certain things that their body needs 
mm-hmm. as the pattern of, of buildup to the migraine. And then once they get it, they, they can't, it's not just about stopping work for a little while or eating something or, or getting some water. It's about now they have to close all the doors and pull down the shades and go to bed for the right. rest of the day. What happens to me when I got into blood sugar emergency is I would be so ravenously full of cravings and so ravenously hungry for the rest of the day that it was as if I could not solve the hunger. Yeah. Now, I had a lot of pain, so I was also in pain during that time. For people who think that they're like such binge eaters that they can't stand it and they go crazy and they can't stop eating and they don't know why, I would say watch what's happening in the buildup of that pattern. What I learned was that if I listened to the the thought of food, the minute I started thinking about food, I said, ooh, I better eat now because my digestive system, the brain in my body is impaired right now. And it's not giving me the hunger signal when I should be getting it. So I actually don't get it until too late. Yeah. And so if I trust my thought instead of judging myself, I eat. And then I don't have that problem for the rest of the day. So your body, if, if you've got a, a pain or, or something that's keeping you from getting appropriate signals, something else will kick in. Mm-hmm. But if we judge ourselves because we're dieting or we're whatever reason we're judging ourselves, I have a craving for meat and I'm a vegetarian and I'm judging myself and I keep feeling sick and I don't know why. You know, these, these signals that we're getting are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I, I always say it's worth experimenting and then taking notes. Yes. And little by little, I, I realize they say that in order to alleviate doubt, you collect proof. Mm-hmm. So you try it, you write it down and you say, oh, look, that worked. And then the next day it worked again. And now I'm not having those binge fests because I didn't listen to that one thought of food when I thought it was the wrong time of day. All that's over because I'm listening to my intuition. As, the, as my digestive system healed, my hunger became real. So yeah. I, I was then able to say, oh, look, I'm really hungry because I'm getting a physical signal now instead of a mental one. Um, so I think little things like that. The other thing I started looking for was when I was eating foods that worked for me, I, I was it's that that grace saying grace before a meal, mm-hmm. the prayer of gratitude to thank the entire food chain and all the people who participated in it, um, all the beings that contributed plant and animal who contributed to this, to this meal and, um, and then eating mindfully so that I was listening to all of my senses while I was doing it. Yeah. Um, I was able to move from a cravings based, which is your tongue talking to you, your taste buds Mm -hmm. to a body based intuition where I started to feel what satisfied my third chakra hara, the center of the body, all when when I satisfied that part of my body and I listened for it, do I feel satisfied? Mm-hmm. Because if I ate something and I didn't, I would have to. I'd think about. It, I'd write that down. Hmm, I didn't feel satisfied. Here's what I ate. Yeah. Try something else. Did I feel satisfied? Wow, that really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Now this changes today for. Three months, it may be one thing, and now I'm in a new season. It's wintertime, and it's something else. So we've got to keep – we don't, like, get the signal and we're done. It's kind of like this is the journey of listening. It's ongoing. Yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah, for sure. So I learned – and I, I took notes and I learned and, and, and now I listen for that feeling in my, in my center of my body, the power center, the hara mm-hmm. center, third chakra, do I feel satisfied? If I do, all of my energy is in that area and I feel grounded. Yes. If I don't, it's up in my head. Right. And I don't feel grounded. I feel scattered. 
I feel off. And, and if I start eating foods that I crave that don't really work for me, and I know they don't because I've taken notes and I've learned, um, my energy is up in my head and I do start to continue to feel cravings and it doesn't feel good and I don't feel grounded. And that's when I know I'm not honoring my intuition. I have days like that still. Mm-hmm. I do still have that where I'm like, you know what? I pick something healthy, but maybe I want a little extra fruit today because I'm really feeling like having a lot of fruit and a lot of fruit doesn't really work for me. But today I want it. Yeah. I know I have to buckle my seatbelt and stay calm because my energy's up in my head. So I've got to just kind of, if I'm going to do that one day because there's not something else around or whatever, I didn't get to go to the grocery store. I just kind of stay mindful in other areas of my life because I can feel the energy up in my head instead of where it's supposed to be keeping me grounded. So I think we just like, if we just learn to, we have to be compassionate with ourselves. We can't always be perfect. Um, We have to listen for those things. And the more we listen, the more we can take loving action to our body instead of um, either judging ourselves or trying to force something that doesn't really work. Um, now that I know what that grounded feeling feels like, that's what I crave more. I crave that more. So I spend most of my time fulfilling that deep need of, of, um, that third chakra satisfaction as opposed to what's on my tongue at the moment. It has to taste good. Right. I'm not saying that it doesn't taste good, but I, I, I choose less of the, um, my natural thing would probably my my most imbalanced way of eating would be to eat too many sweet foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and and but I choose more of the grounding foods because I I've come to love and honor that feeling of grounding inside that third chakra area of my body. Right, right. Yeah, that's so important to to know. And I think it's going to be, you know, anybody listening that this is one of those things that yeah, just be patient with yourself to get to to understand that. I I'm going to try and implement that. I, I know that when I tried to do the the gaps diet, I got about a week in, not even a week, maybe five days. And I just couldn't look at another bowl of bone broth. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had, but not, not only that, I lost pretty much every instinct I had to eat. Yeah. And I said, okay, because I, that's the thing is I normally eat it anyway. Yeah. So where somebody else might be trans, you know, uh, um, transferring over from a diet of like, KFC and McDonald's, they will probably be able to do that longer. <laughs> but, right. but, um, yeah, I think I, I had just met that threshold super early <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the deal. And, the, and your body is saying, you probably, I need a little break. I need something solid. I need something, you know, a little bit different. And, right. you know, it, I love that you're you're aware of that because then you can make the adjustment and then you can watch and see what happens. And after a while, we start to learn the language that our body speaks to us in because everybody's language is different. And, um, you know, that's why I like keeping a food mood symptom journal because we learn to listen for the signals our body gives us. And we learn that new language. We learn the language of food we put into our body and how our body responds. And it's a learning process. And this is for me is not something that happened overnight. I mean, this is years of first getting rid of the pain. So I had a clean slate and then really listening for what the first thing I was listening for is what doesn't give me pain. 
Then it was like, right. bingo, I know what I should be eating. But then it was deeper than that. It was what makes me feel grounded and what keeps my moods balanced and what helps me sleep really well at night. And the more I learned and listened to that, the easier it was to um, choose. And then after a while, I found myself feeling like I was choosing without having to think about it. Yes. And I think yeah. that's that's true. That's being guided by what, you know, now you're really in your body and you're really being guided. Um, and so you know, when I have periods of time in my life like that. I think I think that gets upset for me every time there's a seasonal change because we all go through chaos and turbulence at a seasonal change and everything changes, mm -hmm. everything we thought we knew and all the patterns that we had created that were working for us get shifted a little bit. And that's when we we can't be arrogant about the diet we are following and we have to say, okay, what do I need now? It's a little colder, it's a little warmer. Right. You know, what do I need now? And so that's why I love this idea of, you know, never never rest too much on what you think works. Just keep listening. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we're going to have to wrap up soon. Uh, and I, I've kept you <laughs> quite some time here. <laughs> um, but one thing I want to ask you, um, let's uh, close out with uh, talking about the affirmations in the book, uh, because maybe some people aren't you know, as aware of Louise's work of, of, you know, you and, and the work that you do. And we've kind of gone off on what, to some people may seem like tangents, but really it comes down to, uh, again, you know, the, 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 the gratitude and the, the forgiveness of various body parts, why these disorders are, are happening. Right. Yeah. Uh, so let's say the person who gets migraines, um, when Louise wrote, uh, you can heal your life, for example, and the affirmations in this book, how does she intuit or how has she learned, I don't know which one it is really, the emotions involved in these specific disorders? I think she was really tapping into her her intuition and she had a very, very difficult childhood. Yeah. And you can read about that and you can heal your life. And she wanted to let everybody know that a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's well and good for you. Right. You know, you never had cravings, so you can eat, you know, all this crazy whole foods without, you know, worrying about the French crazy fries. Crazy whole foods. You know, only I mean, the food that humans have eaten since the beginning exactly. of time, you know, it's exactly. so crazy and wild. So get, there, there's a lot of judgment around, you know, how can you say this? And she she tells people what her life was like, which was incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. She had incredibly difficult childhood. She, when, when you have a difficult childhood like that, your neurotransmitters, your brain chemicals don't behave properly. And the way we get good brain chemicals is through good nutrition. And the one thing she did have growing up was good nutrition. Right. She calls it a peasant diet. She yeah. grew up on a peasant diet and they had actually, the peasant diet was the healthiest diet. It's yeah. living off the land, you know, it's, it's eating whole foods, you know, she mm -hmm. didn't have sugar in the house and things like that. So, um, so she had a good, strong foundation of nutritional health, but a horrible, horrible upbringing. Mm -hmm. And she began as she left home at an early age and dropped out of school to run away from this awful childhood, she began to study how to feel better. Mm-hmm. And she began to heal all of those messages of not being good enough and not right. being able to forgive the people that abused her and, um, and, you know, going, lying in bed at night and feeling scared because you're waiting for the moment when the, the abuser is coming, you know, yes. that kind of thing. Right. She had to learn how to deal with all of that and how to survive and, and shift the way she thought so that she could move from constantly being afraid to being safe in the world. And I think that, it was through that 
shift that happened in the body. And this is a DNA shift. We know from epigenetics that emotions get passed through the DNA as well. So I think that when people go on a journey of healing, um, they, they're actually shifting DNA. And there's a physical and emotional, if you're willing to sort of tap in and, and feel into that, there's a physical and emotional shift that starts switching off genes and allowing you to shift patterns in your life. And I think that she felt that very deeply. She's a highly um, sensitive, and she's also a physical sensor from a Chinese medicine perspective. Mm-hmm. Her her Chinese medicine energetics are f- being a physical sensor. That means that you can often, if you're energetically sensitive, which she is, you can feel the symptoms of other people. Yes. You can sit there and tune into someone and feel their symptoms. So I think it was uh, it was a lot about how she's wired and and also the experiences that she had and when she started studying science of mind and learning that a thought could change you can change your thoughts to change your life she started applying that to how how can you heal your thinking your emotions and also therefore heal your body and i think that it was just the unique combination of what she brought to the table that allowed her to have insight into things that if we look at them and break them down i mean dr mona lisa schultz who i work with a lot medical intuitive she's an md phd in brain science and she actually studied all of louise's um work mm-hmm. and brought all of the science to the table to say this is brilliant stuff she whatever she was doing to channel all of that actually has scientific backing to it right um, so I think that there there was just something really special going on through her to bring that voice out into the world. And clearly people, I mean, more than 53 million people have purchased that book. Right. So I, I think that people, um, and they call her the closest thing to a living saint, you yeah. know? So it's kind of like, I think people can feel the truth in it yes. when they read it because they can feel that, wait a minute, this is speaking to a part of me. And that's probably means it's speaking to our DNA right. that we know to be true. Right. And then if we try it and we stick to it, and she says, really, the best way to stick to it is to feed your body good nutrition, because now you've got everything working together, um, that if you stick to it, you can start to shift your patterns of thinking, which shifts your brain patterns, which your brain is your in your gut and in your heart. So those tissues start to shift. And meanwhile, your whole body is starting to shift. Um, I think that's where we get into the, that's the epigenetics, our right. thoughts, our food and our lifestyle can change our genes. And, and I like the way, and maybe I'm misunderstanding the way it's presented in the book, but I, I, I like the way that it's presented because it seems to me a good, we talked about grace before, a good way to open your meal. Yes. To use these affirmations and know that you're transferring that energy from the meal into your cells. Yes. You're adding the language of your of the language you want to send, the energy you want to send. It's kind of like energy Absolutely. medicine in a way. Yeah. You're adding that energy of what you want to send down in with the food. There are people who've um in the energy medicine world who've done studies that you you can change the energy of your food. Yes. Um, I I don't think that that's a, a permission to go drink Coca Colas and, yeah. and hot dogs. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, there's and, there's and a smattering it, of people right. thinking that. Right? Yeah, I, but but I do think that there is wisdom in um in in using the energy of prayer and the energy of mindfulness um in in as you eat the energy of affirmation as you sip broth and you send that affirmation into the molecules the water within the broth that that goes into your body and can carry that language in. Um, I think it's it's a beautiful thing to do. And I know that personally, without really 
knowing if it was going to work or not. It was one of the most healing things I did was to be um, in in prayer prior to my meal, during my meal, and then after my meal. Right. Right. And how how do you think other people, because again, uh, knowing that many of us, myself included, maybe myself most guilty, uh, you know, become technicians and we have to say it exactly the way she said in the book, or, you know, if we miss the word and or <laughs> whatever it is, you know, turned it into a plural, then it's wrong. Uh, how, how can people get comfortable with saying those things in their own words and, you know, kind of tapping into whatever, you know, it might, it may be some intuition that they don't even realize they have that makes them change the words. I think, um, you know, if you're feeling good, it's working. You yeah. know, just like if it smells bad, it's bad. If it right. feels bad, it's bad. You know, if it feels good, it's working. There are certain principles that I think can be helpful to learn, which is why books get written. Yeah. You know, because we all have, even if, if I don't think it's appropriate for everybody to follow everything they read to the letter, but I do think there's wisdom in the guiding principles. When somebody has found a system that works, there is wisdom in guiding principles within that. And you pick the ones that work for you and you move on. So the idea of writing an affirmation or saying an affirmation in the present tense, Mm -hmm. instead of I am going to be healthy, I am healthy. Yes. You know, there that's a principle to make an affirmation more powerful. That that's I think that's where we learn to say them in the beginning that there are tech, there are principles. Once we get those, we can say whatever we want. I mean, Louise gets in the car and she says, "Hey baby, we're going to have a good ride today." She talks to her car. She's not like writing that one in her book, you know, but it's like that's part of the idea of you know, we, we're going to be, have a good trip today. We're, we're safe in the car. You know, she's just, she's just bringing the, the idea of in her own words and making it fun for her, um, what she wants to say to bring the energy of that experience in. Yeah. So I, I would say to anybody, go for it and try, use your own words and do it the way that feels good to you. And, um, and, and if you feel like it's not working, go back to the book and see what maybe principles can be tweaked a little bit. Yeah. Right. 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 And sometimes other things come up that you forgot about swept under the rug. So, um, you know, look out for, you know, you know read those sections again, right. I would suggest and say like, oh, you know, I forgot, you know, I have this other thing that's been nagging me. Right. <laughs> and I exactly. swept it under the rug. Right. So, yes. so, um, to, to be ever present about that. Uh, I'm going to let everybody know where to find you, but I want to make one more comment about the book that I think is brilliant, particularly, uh, for the people who have the picky eater in the house, the child who doesn't touch whatever, um, because you have such a wide breadth of information in there and, and recipes covering everything from, from, like I said, in the, at the beginning, from, you know, the breakfasts to the smoothies and the, and, and desserts, you know, chocolate cake with bone <laughs> broth in it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I know people love their chocolate. Um, but you know, it's, it's not, you can, this, this will, you can do it. You know, you can get yeah. your family to eat it. Um, it's, it's not like what I like about it too, is it's not like that book that Jerry Seinfeld's wife wrote about sneaky, whatever, you know, (laughs) it's not, it's not, um, it's not like undermining what somebody wants to do, right? (laughs) Like they're going in with their, with their eyes wide open, or at least you write it in a way that's not in this kind of, um, 
trying to get one over on someone. Right. It's more about trying you wanting to incorporate this in as many places as possible because you know what? I may not get to have a bowl of broth today, but you know, the because I was you know running fast and I had a piece of leftover chocolate cake. I got a little something in there. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I like about it is that it's not that kind of sneaky. Yeah. You just call secret, but it's not, it's not, I don't take it from the, um, uh, yeah, just trying to try to, you know, get one over on someone and trying to sneak something in there. It's more about, it's more about, let's just see how ubiquitous we can make it. Right. I, I think of it as taking a digestive enzyme. You might as well right. put something in there that's going to help it digest. And I like the idea of eating dessert and having better skin. Right. <laughs> I, it's sort of like, why not? I mean, if I, I love dessert. Look, I eat dessert after almost every meal. I'm a dessert lover. But it, it, I want to eat a healthy dessert that has a natural, you know, unrefined sweetener in it. Right. And I want to have some health benefits if I'm going to have a dessert, right. but I really want to like it too. Right. You know, I almost have a child's palate when it comes to, to making <laughs> recipes. You know, I want it to taste good for children. We actually tested recipes on children. So I think, I think it's one of those things where, you know, we might as well feel good about everything we're eating. It's time to stop feeling guilty about what we're eating. So it's like, if I'm going to eat something, whether it, or drink a cocktail, I want to feel like I'm getting something out of it too. Right. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, um, with that, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It was fabulous uh, to to get to know you a little bit, uh, to learn uh, not only about bone broth, but the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just the, the, the entire food experience through your eyes and how it all relates because it is all interrelated. Uh, thank you. Uh, her website, our guest to Heretic today is Heather Dane. That's spelled D-A-N-E. HeatherDane.com. You can find her on Facebook at Heather Dane Medicine Woman. On Twitter, Heather underscore Dane. And Instagram at Heather.Dane. Thank you so very much. Uh, you can visit her website for recipes and, uh, just so much information about, um, you know, how to take better care of yourself, how to, how to have her on your podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> have, a, have a fantastic day, Heather. Thank you so much, Adrian. And best of luck with the book. Thank you. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutrition heretic and on twitter at nutri heretic contact us with show ideas questions or if you want to be a guest and don't forget to rate our podcast on itunes and stitcher